I'm Desiree. And I'm Taylor. You're tuned into Birthkeeper Banter, a space to discuss powerful birth stories, radical birthkeeping, and all things birth outside of the box. This podcast is produced by Herbal Training, and nothing discussed should be considered medical advice because birth is not a medical event. For classes and more information, go to herbal.teachable.com. Welcome to this episode of Birthkeeper Banter. I'm here with Alina and she is going to share her birth stories with us. She has three wonderful birth stories and she's going to share about her journey. So welcome, Alina. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Can you tell uh, the listeners about yourself a little bit? Sure. Um, I'm a mom of three. I live in St. Petersburg, Florida, where I was born and raised. I am a marketer by trade, um, but more Recently, the last eight years or so, I've been a full-time yoga teacher, and I also have an energy medicine practice, and I love to dance. (laughs) I love to be outside. I love to uh, teach other people how to be healthy in natural, holistic ways. So um, birthing this way really just kind of came naturally, and it's part of who I am. Right. So you started out your motherhood journey with planning for a home birth, right? Yes. Yes. Originally we were going to do a birth center birth, uh, because my family was, uh, as I think many people experience, very concerned about my plans to birth outside of the medical system. And then my midwife actually was only doing home births at that time. The birth center had just opened and I think they may have still been finishing things up (laughs) there. Um, but she asked if I would be interested in home birth and I was glad that I made that switch um, very, very glad because that birth started very quickly. So the thought of going in a car to a birth center probably wouldn't have happened. So getting in the mindset of home birth was a good thing. Uh, I think it's very meant to be. <laughs> right. So what led you to want to go for a birth center or home birth with your first baby? Was there anything that triggered your research to do that and make that choice? Yeah, um, definitely. I had really interesting experience very early in life with, um, seeing labor. Um, my dad is now retired, but was a longtime anesthesiologist and labor and delivery and epidurals were a big part of his practice. And in high school, I actually shadowed at the hospital he was working at. I needed volunteer hours. So I started off in the ER and there wasn't really a lot for me to do as a volunteer in the ER um, at 15, 16. So eventually my dad said, well, if you just shadow me, I'll be happy. You're learning something. I'll sign off on your volunteer hours. So I got to see him place an epidural and I got to see, it was, I think, early in the woman's labor. Um, But I got to see kind of what a medical impersonal practice it was. And just that setting, I was very unhappy. Every time I went to the hospital for volunteer hours or for shadowing, I was very unhappy. I just wasn't, didn't feel good to me in there. You know, as someone who practices, practices energy healing, like I'm very in tune with energy and and people's emotions. And, um, I noticed a lot of the people who worked in hospital settings themselves were not very healthy physically, mentally, emotionally. It just didn't feel good for me in there. And power to the people who are able to work in those settings and are doing amazing life-saving things. But I just knew for like one of the most sacred moments of my life, which I knew birth would be, 
that I didn't want to do it in a hospital setting. And so I just started learning about birth very young. Um, I was probably 1920 when I started looking at um, actually midwifery programs, considering that as a career and just watching all the documentaries, following all the people and just seeing what the alternative could be. And it just felt so much better. I knew there was no other choice if I could, if I, you know, if it was meant to be that way, I always kept an open mind. Like, of course you might have to transfer, but I think I just believed in it so much and I wanted it so much. And I'm also interested in transformational, almost psychedelic experiences and like experiencing life as fully as I can. And so all of those mindsets, <laughs> beliefs, <laughs> interests, I guess you could say, pushed me in the direction of um, birthing outside of the medical system and considering home birth. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Is there any resource that you remember being like the most helpful? Um, you know, I think seeing women like birthing in a bathtub and being surrounded by um, just really mindful attendants, whether that's their family or professional is the best thing to, to see that literal possibility. So I think the, the first one for me was just watching the business of being born. That was a really useful uh, film. And uh, just seeing like, oh, okay, that looks great. <laughs> you know, and having a positive example. Um, and so I think today you can go on Instagram and you can watch 10 of those videos in 10 minutes, you know? So we actually have so many more resources now for people who are considering it just get that visual. And when I learned that most labor and delivery professionals have not actually experienced natural home birth, that kind of blew my mind because in my mind, I'm like, that's your job, right? You should be able to base something off of the physiological normal occurrence. Why wouldn't you do that? So <laughs> at least videos, right? <laughs> so just getting a visual. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think the visuals are so important. I always tell people watch birth videos. That is your best preparation. Yeah. And you'll be guided to watch, I think the ones that will resonate with you the most where that one little thing might be like, oh, I think I would like to incorporate that, you know, um, whether, whether that's a water birth or whether that's like having a birth photographer or whatever, you know, like just getting those little hints of what would your ideal experience be and what would your babies ideal experience be too. Yeah, a hundred percent. So how did you go on to pick your midwife? How did you know that the midwife you picked was the right fit? Honestly, it was just a very logical, practical thing. Uh, there weren't a lot of midwives for me to meet in my area. Um, at the time she was actually opening the first birth center in my city. So it was just a very convenient choice. <laughs> it was the birth center of my town. Um, I didn't want to go far. There was a few farther. I did interview a wonderful midwife um, in Tampa and I really liked her, but I would have had to go to Tampa quite often, which was a little bit of a drive for me. So it was just kind of a practical decision. And then when I met her, I said, okay, sounds good. You provide the service I'm looking for. <laughs> so now I know maybe that's not the process that you want to do. But for what I knew at the time, it was, it was the practical choice. Right. That makes sense to me, proximity and everything. So then how was that pregnancy for you having that more hands-off care, that midwifery style care for your first baby? You know, it was interesting because I think 
she was very interested. Obviously there's licensure requirements and she was very interested in appearing like it's just as safe or safer, right? So there were so many uh, appointments. <laughs> and so overall, I was a, it was a very healthy, easy pregnancy. I was teaching yoga throughout. Um, everything was pretty good physically, no complications or anything. Um, but I did, you know, I did the ultrasound, I did the diabetes test, I did all that stuff. And I think what I did enjoy though, um, was just having her attention, honestly, somebody to talk to for an hour during my appointments at the time I was going through a lot in my relationship and with my family. And so I probably crossed a lot of boundaries and used her as my therapist pretty much, but she was a good listener. And so having someone just hold space for those things that were going on in my life, um, was very helpful, you know? So I think that if that's something you benefit from in appointments, right? Like seek maybe actual professional therapy, <laughs> um, but overall, like that was good. Um, that part of it, there was definitely things that I would have preferred to see differently during the actual birth itself. Overall, it was a good experience. Um, but just, you know, like being coached to push, I think contributed in a tear, um, not really understanding at the time, the difference, um, between different types of birth professionals and like, is like talking to someone and not just asking them, like, are you prepared in case of this, but also like, what kind of emotional support will you give me or not give me? Right. I felt like I kind of got nothing and I realized, oh, I probably should have also had somebody there as a doula, you know, to love on me to offer different positions, things like that. So like some of, yeah, my experience definitely led me to, um, going a little less hands-on for each progressive <laughs> pregnancy and birth. Right. So how did that first one go for you? When did you actually go into labor? So I, according, I had a couple different dates I was working with, um, but I basically was like exactly 40 weeks or 40 and four. Um, depending on which date we were going with. So I didn't have to wait too much, <laughs> you know, long. It wasn't early. It was um, kind of when we were expecting him. And I went into labor around one in the morning, woke up from sleep with a very hard hitting contraction. And we pretty much immediately called our midwife. Um, and she gave us the whole go back to sleep, rest, you know, first time mom, like you've got a while. And I had actually had an experience like four days prior to that, where I thought I was going into labor and I was on my birth ball and I had the Himalayan salt lamp and my music and everything, but then nothing happened. You know, it's just a nice meditation. So I knew like this was different, um, but I still, I listened, I went to my rocking chair, but I was, I was in pretty super active labor. Um, I don't think I've ever experienced like early labor. So I was right in it. And so my partner called her back and uh, she heard my sounds that I was making on the phone. And she's like, I'll be right over. <laughs> so I was pretty in it. Um, and I remember it just feeling horrible <laughs> at the beginning because I had had all of these, uh, you know, I had watched a lot of birth videos of partners like swaying together and dancing and it's almost like romantic. And that was not happening to me. I was just getting hit hard. And I was trying unsuccessfully to find a somewhat comfortable position. And uh, eventually we got the tub going and that was heavenly. You know, she didn't really, my midwife didn't really want me in the tub because she thought 
she would slow it down, but I was so desperate. Like, I just feel like I'm supposed to get in. And that was great. But I was still trying to kind of like involve the other people. And at one point, um, my son's dad just looked at me and was like, go where you need to go. Like, go to that place that you go to in meditation and yoga. And that's when things started feeling a lot better because I was able to just zone out and go to that inner place and, uh, and manage it. And it got very spiritual. I was chanting, I was praying, I was, uh, pulling in all the power I could (laughs) from source. And, uh, there was this beautiful moment where my son's nursery that we had prepared first baby. So you prepared a nursery. I've never prepared a nursery since then. (laughs) Now I know better. You don't need to devote a whole room in your house to a baby unless you want to. But that door had always closed, like it wouldn't stay open. But at that moment, the door was open and a sunbeam of light was shining through his window and through the door down the hallway and right on me in the tub. And it was so special because like literally that door would never be open. It would always swing shut. So the door opened, the sunbeam came in and then he started it was time, you know, and, and I probably could have waited a little bit more. That's when she was like, push, push, <laughs> so bearing down really hard. And, um, his dad were no longer together. Um, but it was a positive birth experience. He was behind me in the tub and he's a trained mixed martial arts, uh, fighter. And I guess I kind of kept closing my legs. I, I felt the sensation. I felt like I was going to die. And I do explain that to women in my prenatal yoga classes, like you're going to feel sensations that you've just never felt in your body before. And you'll get some messages that are not true, but you have, right. That's that rite of passage. You're going through it. And so I kept closing off. And so he actually used a lock that they use in jujitsu to open my legs with his legs from behind and kind of supported me. And then that light came in and, and he was born and, and I didn't. I didn't know I hadn't had that discussion before um, of who would grab the baby. <laughs> so he's just kind of floating in the water. And my midwife was like, reach out and grab your baby. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, and, and pulled him up to me. And so I think like, I like to say that because some people think that birth is going to be very instinctual and you're going to know what to do. I actually feel like I'm a pretty intuitive in my body person. And there was a lot of moments during that birth where I'm like, what the heck? I don't know what to do. I don't know what's happening. I don't know how to move. I didn't even like reach down and grab my baby, (laughs) you know? So that can happen. Like nothing's wrong with you if that's happening. You're just, you're in a different mental space. But it was great. The dog was there. She sang him a little song when he entered the world. And um, I did tear. So I was feeling pretty, uh, pretty bad afterwards. Um, Was bleeding a good amount. Um, my midwife asked me like, what essential oil is good for bleeding? Cause I work with essential oils and I was with it enough to be like helichrysum. So she came over with my helichrysum and put some in water. And I drank that down the food grade helichrysum. And then I had to go to my bed and get stitched up, which again, I might not have done that knowing kind of what I know now. Cause that was a horrid experience, honestly. Um, so that was, that, that sucked, <laughs> but overall, I feel like for first birth, home birth, water birth, it was a good experience. So how long was it total? Like from the time that you called her to when you had baby from waking up with that heavy contraction to baby being born, it was eight hours. Okay. 
And how long were you in the water? Would you say? Probably I would guess for about half of that. I Got think. It. Yeah. Cause they definitely were adding like some additional hot water to keep it warm. And I remember that was just like being in a fighting ring is what it felt like. Like that was the theme of the whole birth. Um, because it was like, I want a warm washcloth. I want a cold washcloth, you know, and it was very particular which one I wanted. I want water. I want coconut water, you know, touch me. Don't touch me. Like, <laughs> so, um, like knowing what you need, um, is so important, you know, and being with people who are going to gladly give that to you or not being around the people who are not going to gladly give that to you. <laughs> I think it's pretty key. Yes. I love that you shared the whole it's not always going to be instinctual and intuitive kind of thing. Cause a lot of people think that, that it'll just, whoop, it'll just flow. You'll know what to do. And you don't, you don't necessarily know what to do. You get primal and it's like, Whoa, this is intense. I don't know what to yeah, do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like, that's instinctually why I felt drawn to birthing in this way is I knew that I knew a sense of that. Like we are animals, right? So what do animals do generally when they give birth? They're not like in the middle of the field around all the other animals, during the day, right? It's like you, like a cat goes under the house to have her babies. And so being in that like dark womb-like place was really helpful. And it allowed me to get to that space where I was like, I was singing mantras that I hadn't sang in years that were just coming through. Um, one is Satnarayan, Waheguru, Harinarayan, Satanam. And I was like, okay, like it just flowed through my mouth and out of me. I probably wouldn't have felt comfortable chanting with the lights on in a hospital with lots of people in. I wouldn't have even necessarily gone there. Maybe I would have, I don't know, you know, but I, w- I didn't even know what it meant. And I looked up the mantra later and it's all about connecting to the healing power of water. And I was in the water. Like, how cool is that? You know? So that was a neat experience for me, for sure. That is so beautiful. So doing energy work, did you do anything on purpose, like during your pregnancy to prepare spiritually, energetically? Yeah, I was, you know, I was just doing a lot of energy work during that pregnancy in general. My, um, I opened like a Reiki clinic basically in my house. (laughs) I devoted one room just to, um, be my office. And I, and I really had a busy practice at that time. Um, I was teaching a lot of yoga during that time as well. And so I was just practicing a lot of energy work. And I think that prepared me because in the style of energy work that I do, I do go into a bit of an altered place. And I was very intuitive during my pregnancy, um, during all of them, but that one in particular, and Riker is my intuitive little guy. Like he is my healer boy. So no surprise. Right. And I called him my Reiki baby throughout the whole pregnancy because I was, um, given gifts during that pregnancy that I don't normally get to enjoy. Like I was seeing people's auras and colors around them and things, which is, I'm not normally a a visually intuitive person. And I was sensing spirit around me and people's loved ones would come through and I was able to give messages and it was, it was really beautiful. And I just felt like I was in this very intuitive portal. So just using my gifts and, and my abilities and just using my training a lot during my pregnancy, I think prepared me just because I was, I was just very connected. I was very dialed in. And it's funny because his name is Riker and I was trying out different nicknames, like when he was first born and I was like, Reiki. And I'm like, Oh, because Riker Reiki in Japan, Reiki is pronounced Reiki. So literally my Reiki baby, like it was just, it was a funny (laughs) realization to have. Oh, I love that so much. 
Would you say that your second pregnancy was similar, very intuitive, very open to energies? I would say I was, I was definitely still practicing a lot at that time, but it wasn't as, um, like I didn't get a lot of those little psychic extras that I was getting for Riker's pregnancy. Um, yeah, Jordy's pregnancy was a tumultuous time in my personal life. And so I really was in just a space of, I spent a lot of it alone. I didn't announce my pregnancy till very late. I wasn't planning to announce it publicly at all. It was just getting awkward because people would see me in public and be like, oh, <laughs> I did I did not know this, you know? <laughs> I wasn't with his dad romantically after like the first half of the pregnancy. And uh, it was good though. It was, I spent a lot of time on my stand-up paddleboard. I actually named him while I was out on the water one day. Um, just really felt connected to his little soul. And he's just, he's the happiest guy. He's the happiest baby. So I feel like I was like in a happier space than maybe was possible <laughs> partially because of his energy. Um, but that's when I started, uh, learning about unassisted birth, free birth, um, because I received the letter that I wasn't supposed to receive. It was a mistake, but I received the letter that I no longer had insurance and I started freaking out and I was like, well, I'm not going to birth in a hospital. So I guess I'm just going to birth at home by myself <laughs> and uh, just started learning about it. And it ended up being a fluke. Like I ended up being fine. I, I was with the same midwife for that pregnancy. And she's like, oh, it's a mistake. Call them back. And it was fine, but it's no accident, right? It, it got me following people who birth in this way or support women who birth in this way. And then it ended up being an accidental free birth. So it was perfect because <laughs> I had all of that <laughs> kind of mindset shift uh, during his pregnancy. So yeah, Jordy was born in 45 minutes from start to finish. So that was, that was an experience. <laughs> when did you know that you were in labor? Like what was the first sign? So I was out to dinner with Mike, who's my now husband, but at the time um, was my new boyfriend. <laughs> And uh, we had only been dating like six, seven weeks. We have a very interesting story. And uh, we were out to dinner because the plan was to go get dinner and then to go to the beach and go for a swim. I still had, I thought about a week to go. Um, that day I had spent in extreme nesting mode. So I think that was my first sign that I didn't realize at the time, because I'm not really a nester. I know a lot of women really love that and, and prepare their homes and clean and I'm not really that way. And so right before is when I get it. So literally that day I had an obsessive thought of like, I need to go get a lot of towels and I need to get bed linens in case my friend who was going to be my doula needs to spend the night. <laughs> and then I rearranged like all the furniture in that room to make a guest room for her um, <laughs> and uh, got maroon towels whatever. So that was my kind of my first sign. But my first physical sign was when we were at dinner. Um, I felt a sudden urge to go to the bathroom. Like I felt like I was leaking and I had been kind of leaking that whole week before. So that may have been gradual mucus plug release. I'm not sure. Um, but it was a pretty large gush. And I was like, okay, walked back to my car after I told Mike, like, yeah, I'm good. And I remember I passed the gay bar and one of the guys was like, whoa, she's really pregnant, like really loud. And I didn't respond, but it was just so funny. Like little did he know I was actually in labor um, because when I got into my car, that's when I started experiencing some contractions. 
um, strong enough to the point that I was like, let me time these as I'm driving. <laughs> and then when I parked at Mike's condo and got out of the car, my water broke like fully. And that never happened with Riker. I believe his waters broke probably as he was coming out. I just was in the water. So I wasn't aware. Um, but yeah, that's when things really started. So from that water breaking to making it back to my house was 45 minutes. Wow. That is wild. And was it intense? You know, what's funny is it really wasn't. And I feel like I was given like a divine gift for this birth being an easier one because emotionally and personally, it was such a difficult pregnancy, um, becoming a single mom for the second time in like a year <laughs> and realizing like, wow, I'm going to be raising a two-year-old and an infant by myself, you know? And then circumstances like happened and I got this amazing husband out of it, actually, who was there for the birth, right? New boyfriend was actually there for the birth. And he's been dad of Jordy since the beginning, but we drove back in his car back to my house, told my, you know, had talked to my midwife at that point. She basically was like, she knew that it would probably go quick. She was like, I'm going to eat a sandwich and then I'll be right there. And she lived like five minutes away. And so we're driving in the car and the contractions were intense, but then in between I'm turning to him and I'm basically teaching Mike about birth. Like I'm teaching him what's happening during this 45 minute <laughs> labor and delivery. And, uh, and then I'd like go back to it be like, hold on. And I'd kind of just go to myself. And I remember holding on to the, the thing that you grab right in the car and then I'd be back and I'm like, okay, da, 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 da. so what just happened was, and I was, would tell <laughs> and so we made it back to my house. And I hobbled up the steps and to the bathroom because all I wanted to do was go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom. I just felt called to the bathroom. And then he's hooking up the hose because I knew like, we better fill this tub up fast. It was already set up. My friend had come over and kind of helped me get the house ready. And I'm telling him that he has to hook the adapter to the hose to make it happen. Like I'm still talking. I'm still very with it. And then I remember having the thought like, whoa, this is so intense. I don't know if I can do this for eight hours. And then that's when he was coming through. And I just felt him coming down. I was standing up in the bathroom and Mike was like, what do I do? <laughs> and like, the baby is coming. He's like, now? I'm like, yes, what do I do? And I said, just catch him. And he did, he reached down and just, I think that's the intuitive part. Like, I feel like humans, right, are we would have been at so many births from being a child, right? Ancestrally. So he just reached down and he caught Jordy and I sat on the toilet and just held him to me. And we were the only ones there. It was, it was awesome. And I'm like, oh, that, that's it. Okay, great. <laughs> I don't have to deal with this intensity. So yeah, that was, that was crazy. It was, I took my dress off somehow. I had planned for all these people to be there because my first birth was so bare bones, just my partner and the midwife who wasn't really offering that much support. Um, I'm like, I need, I need everybody for this one. So I had a doula. I had a friend who was going to take pictures and diffuse my oils and massage me. I had a friend who was going to play drums. Cause I'm like, I need music. I'm a dancer. I'll move during this birth and maybe be a little bit more intuitive this time. Um, my son's dad was going to come and bring my son so he could see his brother being born. None of that happened. <laughs> and so I'm just sitting naked on the toilet with Jordy. Mike's mouth is like wide open. And then my friend, Joel, who was going to play drums for me, shows up because we let everybody know what's happening. And there I am just naked, happy as a clam. Be like, look, 
a baby, you know, it's just the coolest <laughs> like rush of happy hormones coming through. And, but then it got to be too much and my family was there and his bio dad was there and my kid and his dad were there. And it was just so many people in my little cottage, um, was very small house that I just needed everybody out of there. So that was really great to have my two friends who basically served as my two doulas start to manage their both energy <laughs> healers as well, start to just tell everybody like, okay, you need to leave. You need to go get her car. You need to go pick up food and just got everybody so that I could just be there with my baby in that space. So that was good. <laughs> it went from not enough to too much. <laughs> I feel like we got it right the third time though. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How long did it take for your midwife to get there after the fact? Yeah, she got there probably five or six minutes after my friend arrived. So like less than 10 minutes. And then she kind of took over and started doing her thing. Right. And like asked me, where do you want to birth the placenta? Do you want to do it on the toilet? Do you want to go to the bed? I felt like going to the bed. So I kind of shuttled over to the bed. Um, and then she just did her normal checks, ways, paperwork. <laughs> all of that. I really didn't need too much attention. Um, but I remember she was very adamant that somebody stay with me after because I didn't have anyone staying with me. I, I hadn't planned that. I think Mike had to go to work or had school like very early the next day. And, um, you know, bio dad wasn't going to stay there. So like, I was just going to be alone. And I did, I hadn't thought about like, Oh, I might not want that to, to be the case. Right. <laughs> I had somewhere for my child to be. That was the only thing I was thinking. So she actually, uh, was like, yeah, you need someone to stay with you so that like, if you take a shower and need assistance, you have that, or someone's with the baby, whatever. Um, so my friend Sierra stepped up and she stayed with me that night and it was great because I had prepared that guest room earlier that day in my nesting <laughs> space and um, and that was uh, really sweet of her because she and this is so funny so she's allergic to dogs I had two puppies at the time and she took some allergy meds or something but she suffered through and she stayed the night with us and it was beautiful we did like a card reading and um, it was just a wonderful experience to have my friend there. She has, um, I wouldn't say a phobia, but she really doesn't like blood. And it's funny because the, the woman who was going to be my actual doula, who didn't make it, you know, she did come for a little bit, but then she had another woman go into, um, labor. And so she had to leave. And so my midwife turned to my friend, just thinking she was my doula, um, and it's like, okay, do this, do this, do this. And so Sierra had to get the bloody sheets and go wash them. And like, she had to deal with that blood stuff she had um, and just told her what to do. And she, she did it. And she got so inspired by the experience. She ended up going through uh, training to become a doula after the fact. So um, that was really special. I love that so much. That's a real friend. She's like, wow, I really don't like this, but I'm doing this anyway. Totally. <laughs> Cool. And so how are your placenta bursts? Like, were they pretty smooth and easy and quick? You know, the first one, no, like I remember that being a challenge. Um, and then, so I think that kind of instilled in me, like a little bit of fear around the placenta stuff, like that might've prevented me like from just being confident, you know, if I had been by myself and doing that part of it. And so the second one was um, easier, still was like, kind of took a little bit, you know, not a lot of time, just some effort. 
And then I remember the afterbirth contractions for my second for Jordy being very hard to deal with and overwhelming. Um, it, was, it was almost like, even though he was born so quickly, like the labor kind of kept going. It felt like it was just so intense. And I remember um, really getting some relief. My friend Sierra is a trained massage therapist and um, knew the correct acupuncture points to massage to relieve some of that. So she was working on my calves. So anytime that would start to happen, she would push those points. And that really was, was really helpful. Um, and I remember it feeling a little bit worse too, with just having so many people in my house, I couldn't just do that release and kind of let go. So once everybody started to clear, it got a little easier too. Right. That definitely makes sense. Cause everybody's like looking at you and you're like, wow, I just did a lot and I'm still having to process this birth still. You're still pregnant mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah. So- it was just so fast. And I know a lot of people wish for that, like, oh, if I could have precipitous labor and like in many ways, yes, it was a blessing, but it was very intense. And I think, so it just took a while for my body to process like, oh my God, what, (laughs) what just happened? (laughs) Absolutely. So for your third, with that experience and having had the home birth with midwife for your first, what did you decide to do for your, your third? So for our third, it was a completely wild pregnancy <laughs> and you were our birth keeper <laughs> and, uh, um, I loved it the best. I, I really just felt like I did definitely have some concerns initially, like, okay, if I'm not going to get any checks, no ultrasounds, um, no visits, like, how would I know if something was quote unquote wrong? Right. Um, so I just really leaned on my intuition and I just kept telling myself, like, if I intuitively feel like I should get checked or an ultrasound or something like that, then I will do that. But I never did. I I just felt very calm and like all was well. It was really fun not knowing the sex of the baby throughout. I really enjoyed that because I knew they were both boys. And then of course it's like, everyone's like, do you want a girl? You're begging for a girl. Right. And I'm like, honestly, I would be really happy with either. (laughs) Um, and so it just was, it was fun for it to be a surprise and to hear everybody's guesses and stuff. Um, we had a fetoscope, so I learned how to listen to the heartbeat. And that was really special to get to do at home and just totally lean into trust. I really liked not having to go to any appointments. (laughs) I had had two no complication, low risk pregnancies and relatively easy as far as births go births. So I felt pretty confident in my body and it, it, it felt like a similar experience. I had definitely more nausea. Um, and it did end up being a girl. So I'm curious if, if that was part of why. Um, but yeah, it was overall really good pregnancy and it just felt like the right thing to do. It, I didn't want to go to an office anymore, especially because COVID really brought out a lot, right. in people, and you learn people's views and biases and I had always chosen very natural choices for my family. And then when the people that I had worked with prior were very on the other end of the spectrum, I just felt like, oh, I'm not going to be respected. I'm not going to be looked at as a real human. (laughs) I don't want to wear a mask to my appointments. I don't (laughs) want to, you know, have people just negatively talking about my choices, right. Publicly. Like, it just felt like, oh, this is not the right person anymore. And that was okay. You know, 
that was fine, but it just helped me see like, okay, I can, I can do this our way, you know? So meeting, meeting you, it was very in alignment. (laughs) I felt like, oh, yes. (laughs) And I will say like working with you, you gave far more support than I ever received from anyone before. And I feel like people look at support as like charts and graphs and tests and that kind of thing. But the true support is like somebody holding reverence for you and holding space for you and like you asked me what kind of birth do you want to have and I'm like oh man I haven't even thought about it like I should probably think about that (laughs) you know and then did and then ended up basically having that exact experience of what I saw you know and just somebody who trusts you even more than you trust yourself is a really great gift so that's the kind of support that I needed that you provided that just felt really really good Awesome. I love to hear that. Thank you. Um, so when did you actually go into labor with her? How many weeks were you? I was at, oh gosh, 36 and two ish. So about a month, uh, early (laughs) and, um, I had had a very stressful, uh, Christmas holiday. It was really interesting because my son, Jordy, had said throughout the pregnancy, the baby's going to be born on Christmas. And she was, uh, we figured she was due around January 22nd. And so Christmas was a little early. So we'd tell him, no, Jordy, it's after Christmas, a little bit after Christmas. Cause you tell kids they're going to have a baby brother or sister. They're like, when tomorrow? And then we're like, oh shoot. No, like eight months from now, actually like that is an unfathomably long time for you. And so that was kind of our milestone that we would tell them is after Christmas. And he kept saying on Christmas, on Christmas. And Riker knew the whole time she was a girl, which was really interesting. Um, he was so confident. But sure enough, um, my waters started breaking on Christmas Day after just a, a just tumultuous holiday with family stuff going on and co-parenting stuff going on. And um, so I think the stress of that contributed to, um, to that. And so I just basically went into hibernation mode for a day or so. So my waters continued to leak. I slept for the whole day the next day, just did not want to leave the couch. I didn't really want to eat, um, but nothing was right happening. So I'm so grateful that I had that um, knowledge and that mindset to, to birth outside of the system, right? Because I mean, had I gone with my prior midwife, she would have been like, oh, you're under 37 weeks. Sorry. Right. Um, Oh, water's been broken more than a day. Like we got to go intervene. So all of these things went like, quote unquote, wrong that were happening, like dangerous that would have been labeled that way. And I just was like, I feel okay. (laughs) I feel pretty good. You know, I was connecting with my, you know, support and um, just rested just trusted my body, just rested. And then around 11 o'clock at night, I, I woke out of sleep and I was kind of in a half sleep, half awake for much of that day. And things started happening quickly. <laughs> and then she ended up being born at 2.22, exactly. So two days yeah. technically after Christmas, but yeah, early morning, like the day after Christmas. <laughs> Right. I think that time is so special. I remember I was still on the road. And so um, Mike texted me and I was like, 222, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And like you were on your way. And it was funny because I remember things were progressing. And like I definitely, it was very different. Like 
with Jordy, I was able to kind of come out of the contraction space and talk with Mike. And with Indigo, I was just like very in it the whole time. It was very internal. So I remember him telling me like, oh, should we tell Taylor to come? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> like, let's get it going. <laughs> it was just happening so fast. And it was so intense. Um, but he was a great doodla. I call him a doodla <laughs> for the second time. I needed all the counter pressure and the massage and giving me water and just asking me if I wanted to get up and move. And I never got up. And that was really interesting as I literally like woke up in bed and I never got out of bed. I just was on my side the whole time. And it's funny to me because like part of why I, um, you know, encourage women to seek birth in whatever environment is most comfortable for them. It's like the ability to move and get up and not be tied to a bed. Right. And here I was just <laughs> birthing in bed <laughs> and then had her in the bed after, yeah, like three hours, 20 minutes. Right. And what position were you in, in the bed when you gave I birth? I was on my side. So I was on my side pretty much the whole time. Cause that kind of let him do some downward pressure on my sacral area. And at one point I remember just knowing that she was starting to come down and I never was worried or fearful. Like ever, I never got to that headspace of like, she's too early or, you know, again, I'm very practical. I'm like, if she has issues, we'll call for assistance and they will come and we will go get what she needs. Like it will be at the hospital in under 10 minutes. Like I just knew like, it's going to be fine. And so I just felt her coming. I didn't want him touching me anymore at that point. And intuitively I reached down and I grabbed from behind, um, like my tailbone, my coccyx, and I kind of scooped it and lifted it up. And that really allowed her to just come right out. So she came out, he caught her and I felt a little bad because Riker had really wanted to be there for the birth, but he was at his dad's. Again, I think it's like that primal thing of, I knew there were fewer children in the house. It was late at night and um, middle of the night. And, uh, but Jordy did, a <laughs> little brother did walk in uh, just like right after she was born. And that was great, right? Cause he didn't come in for cuddles or anything like he normally does while I was actually in labor. And then when she was born, he just walked in, like it was the most normal thing. Like, oh, baby's here, cool. <laughs> And I was just like, here's your sister. <laughs> right. It's normalized to them. They're like, okay, this makes sense. Totally. Yeah. Like really no different probably than seeing mom, like go to the bathroom or take a shower or something. It's yep. She's just having a baby. So that was, I mean, Indigo's birth was definitely intense. I remember there's just an intensity to it, like a rawness to it. It made me actually not want to give birth again, not in like a traumatic way, just like a very final, like I'm done now. Like my family is complete. That was like a good last hurrah. Like if it happened again, we would welcome it. But we just, it just felt like there was a final sense to it. Like, and it, it actually gave me a lot of compassion for women who choose to not feel those intense sensations and get epidurals out of choice because it was so intense. And I recognize that for some people, especially people with like a traumatic background or what they feel is low pain tolerance, like it's a lot. Right. And so I, I truly do support women to birth however they wish to, but I just wish there was more education so we could make a more informed choice. And I think that if we just see more births happen, if it's normalized, if we get the 
crazy narrative out of movies, right? Of this like woman just being wheeled down like, ah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> then we would have more opportunity to make that choice from like a truly educated place. Um, I had a prenatal yoga client who is a dear friend of mine from childhood. And she's like, I don't want to feel a thing. I just want to bliss out on drugs and I want to have my baby easy peasy squeezy. I'm like, okay. So we went through her whole pregnancy doing prenatal yoga and she got the dream birth she wanted. She's like, it was awesome. I just laid on my side and they put a peanut ball between my knees and baby was here. Like everything luckily went well for her. And she imagined her perfect birth into existence. So like, awesome. <laughs> you know, That is awesome. It's all about autonomy. Like you said, we should have Truly. consent. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yes. So yeah, it was, it was great. Like my family got to be there. They were actually planning a vacation to leave that day. So my parents got to come over and meet their granddaughter right before they left for like a two week trip. Um, they were trying to squeeze it in before she was coming <laughs> and she ended up coming early. So it was good. They got to meet her and then they got to go on their trip and we got a very like quiet period, you know, still the holidays, which was cool, you know, um, to enjoy our new baby kids were home from school and, uh, our community really showed up for us. It was really, really awesome. We have some great family and friends who contributed to our meal train. So we didn't have to worry about food for weeks. Um, a lot of people donated money, which was completely unexpected and really amazing. And so now when women are like, what do I need for after birth? I always tell them set up the meal train. I remember you encouraged us set that up because we got food and we got financial gifts, which like, that's incredible, but we should give those gifts if we can to new families. Like there isn't support in our culture or in the business realm. Right. You know, especially for fathers, like they don't get guaranteed time off. Moms get, I don't know, six, eight weeks, right. For like half pay. I don't know what the current thing is. I've been out of corporate America for a while, but we're not given that support that families are in other countries. So I feel like there should be a gifting culture um, that's encouraged, right? We have baby showers and you get a bunch of baby stuff that you probably aren't going to use that people are spending full price on because they're buying it new. It's so wasteful. Like, let's just give money <laughs> to new moms, please. <laughs> and help right. them out. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. All the little gifts and the frillies and all of that are so unnecessary compared to your bill and necessities and food and all of that. Like that would take so much stress off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would love for that to be a thing. Just like <laughs> new family parties, just shower them with financial gifts, right? We do it at weddings, right? Let's do it with babies. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so with your, I know you tore with your first, did you tear with your second or third again? No, I did not. Yeah. So, and I'm just very curious. I mean, I know first time moms, whatever, but it was just like, I didn't get the chance for that first birth to listen to my body and respond to my body. Like I was listening to someone telling me like push. And at one point she even said like, are you having a one? Are you having a baby? Like it was almost like a bullying. And I remember being like, whoa, what? Like, that's not the energy I need right now. And so I, but I, I'm someone who's been coached a lot in life as like a former athlete, as a dancer. And so like, if someone starts coaching me, I kind of start responding you know, and I'm like, okay, er, you know, and like bearing down, bearing down. And so, you know, with Jordy, it was just total fetal ejection where like, he was just out of my body. But I remember with Indigo, I got to actually like 
feel it, give it a little bit, wait a little bit. Now I'm ready, go, you know? And so if part of your reasoning for having a natural birth is to listen to your body, like, man, what a bummer that I didn't get to do that during that pivotal moment of him coming through. So of course I can't know if that's why I tore, but I feel like it contributed. And um, definitely that's like one thing I would have done differently is like been more prepared on, all right, what's that phase gonna look like? (laughs) You know, if you're gonna have people there supporting you, like ask them, how do you manage that phase? Like, what's that? Are you telling me when to push? Are you encouraging me to listen? I feel like it needs to go a little back and forth. Different people are gonna be different. but there has to be some lines of communication there, you know, like, do you want to pick up your baby? Do you want someone else to grab the baby? (laughs) Like kind of knowing what to sort of, you know, what your desires are is key. So, um, yeah, no tears with, with Jordy or Indigo. And then, um, yeah, Indigo's placenta was, I think pretty easy too. (laughs) It was just like a sit up and oh, there we go. Right. I think, did you go and get on the toilet or did you just sit up in bed? I think I just sat up in bed. Like, I think I was kind of prepared to maybe we could go over there and then it just was like, oh, here it comes. <laughs> yeah. I remember it being very easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so what, that was great. Was she significantly smaller being that she was only about 36 weeks? She was definitely smaller than my boys. My boys were, um, seven, 10 and seven eleven, and she was five pounds, nine ounces. Um, so yeah, she was a little teeny thing, (laughs) but she was actually, I think taller than both of them. So she was like a string bean. She just hadn't really filled out yet. And I remember she definitely had some saggy skin. Her knees were real saggy. Her legs were like little noodles. (laughs) Um, but she, you know, she started nursing great and easy. And for the first month she was basically asleep and we would miss her it was funny like she'd be up to nurse but like kind of half awake half asleep and then she'd go right back down so it was like she was still in the womb like she was still just in that like quiet she hadn't really awoken to the world yet until after her guest date (laughs) and then she started being a little bit more active and would be awake for longer periods of time but she definitely was a sleepy little nugget as she was growing (laughs) And that totally makes sense to me. She still had some catching up to do. She was like, well, I got to rest. Yeah. Yeah. She was just in it. And I remember I had a, a dear friend of our family come over. Um, I was really hoping for some baby snuggles and um, I'm really selective about like who I allow into my post-birth space now. Like I actually do enjoy having visitors because when I'm like isolated for too long, I tend to go a little nuts. And so I did want some people over, but I was just very choosy of people who had good energy and I knew would respect our, you know, our boundaries and stuff. And um, so our friend was over and she had just gotten her first chiropractic adjustment and it knocked her to sleep for like a really long time. So she, I didn't want to take her out of her bed because I'm very much like, don't wake the sleeping baby. (laughs) And so our friend like was there for a really long time, I think, hoping that she gets some snuggles and she never did wake up, but we had a nice conversation with her. So it was still a good visit. Oh, yeah. Respect their sleeping modes and are like, oh, no, I'm not going to wake her up just because you want to hold her. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I feel like this, the sooner that we can start treating children with the same respect that we would treat grownups, like the better. And it kind of does start from birth. Like she was resting. I didn't need to. And that was something that like, I've definitely thought 
less and less and like now virtually non-medical attention unless absolutely necessary for our kids. We manage things very holistically and naturally. And I remember going to a pediatrician for Riker and just the roughness of how he was handled and like stripped of his clothes. And I'm like, Ooh, like I would never allow that for me. And yes, I know he can't undress himself, but there's still a reverence that we can have towards all people, hopefully, but especially babies. And that was completely missing and made me seek other options (laughs) for health for sure. Right. Absolutely. The medical industry is like so disconnected from those emotions and the sensitivity of that, that fourth trimester. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just, it was too much. And that was part of the um, birth center, home birth experience that I didn't enjoy was she was very adamant that we see a pediatrician like the very next day after he was born because we weren't seeing one in the hospital because we weren't out of hospital. And so we like loaded up and I had stitches. Like I was raw. I remember it being really challenging to walk, (laughs) you know, down from the car to that appointment. And it just, it just being a stupid appointment, honestly. And like realizing like, okay, he's gotten checked by our midwife. Like I am very fortunate and blessed that my dad is a physician. Like he looked him over. He knows how to tell if a baby is healthy or not. And then here we were just carting him off to a doctor, family practitioner, actually, that we didn't even know just to, just to check the boxes, just to do what we were told, you know, it just was so, it was so stupid. (laughs) Right. It really doesn't make sense. It's like, no, we don't have to go and get uh, this check of approval from this person just because. Just because, and, and I think that is something I hope to like share to anyone listening. This is you don't have to do anything like And yes, I understand that there are reasons why you might want to, or to cover your bases, depending on where you live, what the laws are, et cetera, but you don't have to. And that's something that like, I try to share with the women in my prenatal yoga classes is yeah, you don't have to do that. Like you don't have to get that check. You don't have to go to that visit. If you don't want to, you don't have to deliver at this hospital just because you work there. I had a woman who the only reason she was delivering there, she's like, it's a rite of passage. Everybody who works here, who gets pregnant also delivers here. Like, so you can deliver with your friends who you work with. Like what, you know, why? (laughs) But it's just in their culture to do that. So they do it, you know? Right. It just doesn't resonate with me. (laughs) I can't get down with that. (laughs) No, (laughs) I don't think we're like peer pressure kind of people though. Exactly. It's like, Luckily. No, I do what I want. <laughs> yeah. And be unapologetic about that because you know your body best, you know? So, yes. Exactly. <laughs> Would you say that your postpartums with the stitching, like compared to your first, would you say that your postpartum healing was significantly different with the other two? Yeah, I would say so. I remember just feeling just awful, like so swollen. So it took a while to heal. It took a while to feel comfortable and in my body again. And that wasn't like just in that area. It was kind of a whole body experience. Um, I remember it taking me a lot longer to return to my normal weight and just shape. Uh, like my pelvis was very open and it just took a while to kind of come back together. There was just a rawness and an openness, I think, to that after that experience. Um, 
I remember going for a run at about, he was like six months old. He wasn't even that new yet or anymore. And I felt with every step, like my feet were going to go through the concrete. It was just the weirdest experience. It just took me a while to feel normal again. And with Jordy, it was so quick. Like I just, and I am not like an advocate of like, you have to lose the baby weight, whatever our bodies change. Like it's a different phase of life. Um, but for me, just going back to what my normal was, it was like very quick. It was a very quick healing process. Um, not being so managed. And I also, at that point was not going to any unnecessary appointments. (laughs) So I felt more in control of my time. Um, even though I had a two-year-old, you know, and then, um, with Indigo, I remember like maybe four or five days after just starting to putter around the house and clean up. And Mike's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I just want to, like, I want to be up. I just feel energized. Um, yeah. So definitely like the less management I got, the faster I just, cause I never, I feel like I never came away from my body, if that makes sense. I was just more in my body. So I didn't have to have an experience of like coming back. Right. That totally makes sense to me. And did you do anything with your placentas? Did you consume them for all of them or how did that go? Yep. So with Riker, I encapsulated it myself, um, which I was glad that I did because I was glad I had that experience of researching how I wanted to do it and um, handling it and cutting it up, which is so weird, (laughs) drying it and blending it and actually encapsulating it myself. But that was a very like labor intensive, uh, intensive process. Um, and it was a little bit stressful for me, but I took the powder until intuitively my body was like, just kind of done with it. And then I buried the rest of that powder under a tree in the front yard. Um, with Jordy, I put a few chunks in a smoothie and I made several smoothies after birth. And then the rest of the chunks are still in my freezer. So we were just talking the other day about how we really do need to have some kind of ritual to release the placenta because it's gone now into a new house with us <laughs> from freezer to freezer. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I think that just kind of goes along with like, I wasn't going to be encapsulating it with a two-year-old running around. <laughs> um, and then with Indigo, that was so wonderful because you handled all of that. <laughs> so you made the beautiful mementos and the tincture and encapsulated. Um, and again, I just kind of took the um, capsules until I intuitively felt like, okay, I'm good. But all of them have the umbilical cords dried in a cute shape. Um, and so that's neat. I love that I get to have that. And every now and then we pull them out and I show the boys the umbilical cords. Like, that's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I love the memento so much. It's like, oh, wow. Yeah, this, I randomly found it again. And I feel like you should see this and we should talk about it. It's really cool to do that. Yeah, definitely. And the boys are so interested in like, like they ask us so many questions. Like that was such a cool thing to involve the kids in the process and to teach them, you know, about placentas and about umbilical cords. They're incredible. And, you know, they're not medical waste or (laughs) I think, you know, it's unethical to sell them and to use them for purposes that people don't know about, which is done. Um, so just getting to kind of claim that part of it is, is a really cool part of home birth for sure. 
Yeah. Even if you don't consume it, like a lot of people aren't into that. Even if you just bury it or you just do something to honor it, don't let the medical system have it. Don't let it just go to a landfill, like do something with it just to honor that because it took care of your baby for all of that. Beautiful. And it's not gross. Like I, I talk to women sometimes about that option and some people do respond like that's disgusting. I'm like, no, it's not like it's not nothing about you or your baby or this purpose is disgusting, but there is this like belief that our bodies are gross and need to be managed in this way. That's horrifying, you know? So I think if we could give that reverence, starting with our own organs and bodies and babies, then that will allow us to seek, I think, some more reverence in the whole process itself. So we're getting there. Stuff like this is helping us get there. Yeah, exactly. It's all about storytelling. That's why we do it. That's awesome. Yeah. And so just a couple more questions on like the work that you do and how it helps people, right? So what would you recommend for people that want to incorporate energy work and like finding that mental clarity to do their home birth? Yeah, for sure. I would say, I mean, it's definitely wonderful if you have a healer in your area, speak with people beforehand, make sure it's a good fit and a good vibe for you. You should have a good feeling towards them, but seeking services like hypnotherapy or Reiki or other forms of energy healing can be just a beautiful way to prepare for birth because it helps you get in a headspace of where you are in a meditative state. You're not asleep. You're not awake. You're kind of in between. And that's similar to the place that many people go in birth, right? Especially home birth or free birth. And so getting comfortable with that space is so important. I I try to incorporate it in all of my prenatal yoga classes. Um, I've been teaching prenatal yoga for years with an emphasis on preparing for your birth journey. And so we always take some time in our practice, about 15 minutes where I have everybody in a very comfortable, relaxed, supported, like propped up place for their Shavasana, their final resting pose. And I encourage them to go on a journey, right? And sometimes it's a bit more prompted and sometimes it's just a bit more open to allow them to get better at going into that headspace of, of inner solitude, of quiet, of visioning, and of connecting to your spirituality, whatever that is or isn't, it's fine. But connecting to your beliefs is pretty key when you're seeking a successful assisted home birth, um, connecting to your power, to your divinity. And so I would say seek out prenatal yoga classes or other energy healing professionals um, in your area. I do virtual work as well, if anyone ever wanted to explore that with me. Um, but there is something very lovely about having hands on you and being in the physical presence of someone um, who has very good energy uh, towards you and in general. Um, I also would encourage people to seek, if they're interested in Reiki in particular, getting attuned to Reiki themselves. And that's just going through the certification Reiki's taught in three levels of being able to do self-healing. And I also teach in that level, basic healing of others, because then you get to actually work hands-on and practice energy medicine yourself, which is a wonderful way to prepare for your journey for sure. Um, and just learning about, um, essentially just how to trust the unseen is, is how I would describe it. I think a lot of people come to Reiki and other forms of energy medicine because they know there's something more than what we can see, which we know is true. 
because even if you just look at our senses are like, um, I don't have the same senses as certain animals, right? They have a different experience, right? There are things that we cannot see like, um, infrared, for example, <laughs> you're not glowing red to me because you're warm. <laughs> a snake would see you differently, right? Um, so we know that there are unseen things that we can't experience. And that goes beyond, I believe, into a very, I, I believe birth is deeply spiritual. Um, and even if you're not a spiritual person, you can connect to the power of your ancestors, right? All this unbroken chain of people that birthed you, right? In caves and your ancestors and so on. And also the fact that as you birth, there are so many other people giving birth at the same time it is a collective effort. <laughs> and so connecting to that by going outside of yourself is something that can be facilitated a lot easier, getting training in, in meditation and yoga and energy healing. I could talk about this for a long time, but I, I'll stop there. <laughs> Absolutely. That makes so much sense. And I appreciate you sharing that. Besides spiritual and meditative and like grounding yourself in prenatal yoga, would you say that you've seen significant physical benefits from it as far oh, as birth pregnancy? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you have a strong physical practice, whatever that is, um, for the most part, you can keep that going during most normal healthy pregnancies. Of course, there's always exceptions, but I had a pretty strong yoga practice prior to being pregnant and I kept that going. Of course, there's certain things that after a certain point you can't do, like lay on your belly or do a super deep twist or something like that. But I was still doing inversions and back bends and, and flowing and stayed very physically fit during all of my pregnancies. I also teach yoga. So I have a little bit of an incentive to stay physically fit because it's easier for me to teach classes and clients if I am. And so that is so helpful, not only for just little things, like if you have a sore back, right, everybody has round ligament pain or sciatica or hip issues, things like that. Um, having some kind of physical practice where you can work a lot of those things out yourself is incredibly useful. And of course, there's chiropractors and massage therapists who I also recommend wholeheartedly, but having that connection with your own body is awesome right? If you're going to go through a very physical endeavor like birth, and then once your baby arrives, it doesn't stop, right? You still have to bend down and pick up that baby and then be holding that baby and reach for something and pick it up, right? It's very, um, I do a lot of training now. I work with a trainer now with kettlebells and maces, and I'm doing a little bit more strength training. And the more that I learn, the more I realize, oh my gosh, all parents should be training <laughs> before having the baby because having a kid is very physical, picking up bucket seats and, you know, pushing grocery carts with one hand. And so doing some kind of training um, is awesome for physical health. Also for the mental health that it provides. I have worked with so many different modalities of alternative healing, and it really does go back to the basics. Having a strong exercise practice, and by strong, I mean, you just do it consistently. So it could be 15 minutes a day, honestly, of a good workout will provide so many mental health benefits that I think are just so crucial. And you could spend hours researching the right supplement blends or prescriptions to take for mental health. Not that those things are not needed, but if you're also not doing 15 to 30 minutes of movement every day, try layering that on because I swear, especially moving outside, if you're in a climate where you can do so, provides me so much happiness 
<laughs> and like literally the, the chemicals that are going on in your body through movement, if you're able to move, right? I know we're all differently able. Not everybody is able to move like me, but if you can move in a way that works for you consistently, I promise like you will feel at least a little bit better. It will be worth it. <laughs> I've definitely seen that in myself. Like even if it's cold outside, going out in the sun and like dancing around just for a few minutes changes my whole mood for the day. So I've definitely seen that personally. Definitely. If I have a funky day, if I'm just like, man, I don't feel good today. You know, and I always honor that we don't always feel great. Some days we're doing more shadow work and we're going deep and we're feeling our feels. But if I'm just having a funky kind of stagnant day, pretty much guaranteed I did not wake up and go outside and go work out. And for me, a workout is I don't do anything fancy. I roll out a yoga mat. I've recently started incorporating a mace, which is a great tool, um, but just body weight exercises, dancing, sunshine is so healing. <laughs> I have a good COVID story where I looked into the sun <laughs> for a really long time and got better really quickly. I swear the sun is just pretty crucial um, for our species, for all species, honestly, and we live inside, right? So we're not exposed to the sun. And so the more sunlight you can get, uh, usually the better. Right. And it's funny because they tell us to don't look into the sun. Don't birth at home. It's dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Wear sunscreen, never go outside of the house without sunscreen. Right. Um, I recently learned some pretty interesting stuff about how our eyes are a part of the process of metabolizing vitamin D from the sun. And so wearing sunglasses even can influence that. So I was a lifelong sunglasses wearer because I have light eyes and I recently just kind of stopped wearing sunglasses and I can see great. <laughs> My eyes adjusted. I'll wear a hat if it's really bright. Um, but yeah, there's some interesting stuff about, um, the sun for sure. <laughs> um, I, I kind of believe we live in opposite world. So most conventional medical advice, if you reverse it, <laughs> you're in good shape. Exactly. You take what they say and just do the flip side and you're probably going to feel real good. <laughs> totally. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing everything. If there's like one thing that you could share to people, one last tip for somebody planning their very first free birth or unassisted birth, whether it's their first or their seventh, what would you say to them? I think what's really crucial is having the right people around you and not having the wrong people around you. And that can be difficult for a lot of people, especially when it comes to family. I have a pretty good relationship with my parents. There was no way they were going to be at my birth because I knew they didn't believe in birth the way that I did. And they didn't necessarily believe in me the way that I did. And so they weren't welcome at my birth. And I didn't make a big thing about it. It wasn't a dramatic thing. It wasn't a huge falling out, but I just knew that they weren't going to be there. And that was going to be a better outcome. And so know that the energy of the people who are around you influences how things go, right? It influences your mindset, your emotions, even if they say nothing, but they're there and they have the wrong energy. I believe that that can actually cause your body to go into a little bit of fight, flight, or freeze. So don't feel bad for not inviting certain people, right? Or changing plans, right? Maybe you were gonna have somebody there who you decided actually no. Listen to that because your body knows, your baby knows. So listen to those messages that you're getting 
And I'm not going to tell you not to feel bad about it because that's your decision, but you don't have to feel bad about it. You, <laughs> you can, you know, you can be a radical <laughs> boundary maker and keeper for yourself. I believe that pregnancy and birth is actually one of the most important times of your life to be that for yourself. I tell the women in my prenatal classes all the time, if somebody starts dumping a traumatic birth story on you, you can leave the room. You don't even have to say anything. You can walk away. Protect your energy. It's so important. That was perfect. That was totally spot on. Thank you so much, Alina. I really appreciate you. Yeah, you're so welcome. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for being you. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Birthkeeper Banter. Make sure to like and subscribe to our channel on your favorite podcast listening platform and Facebook so you can be notified for future episodes. Enrollment for our 2023 midwifery cohort is now open. You can find sign-up information as well as all of our other courses at herbal.teachable.com. We love and appreciate you all. Thank you for helping us change the world. One verse story at a time. <laughs>